Before we begin this week's episode of Gabin in the Woods, we just wanted to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, Technical Difficulties. Technical Difficulties will actually take all the pain and fuss out of editing your podcast. And to prove just how effective they are, Technical Difficulties have robbed us of the last 15 minutes of this week's episode. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's just so easy and convenient. So yeah, uh, seriously, sorry guys, we we lost the last few minutes of this episode, and there's nothing we can do about it. But we got all the content in there, you're just not going to get our usual witty sign-offs. So uh, on behalf of Liz, uh, I like alcohol and cats, uh, real mothmen eat pussy. And uh, John, uh, who jokes about necrophilia in a way that hopefully won't come back to haunt him like Russell Brand's allegations. Enjoy the episode. It's Pissed off, whatever it is. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Game over, man. Game over. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. Don't fall asleep. I got nothing. I normally think of stuff in the theme song because we're so well prepared, but I've, mm-hmm. I have nothing. I was about to whinge about how like sugar-free soy milk doesn't taste so good, but I, I could imagine our listenership in Texas just diving, <sighs> just, just diving like the woke agenda in Texas. Well, oh my God. Well, you know what? Speaking of Texas, uh, we found out this week about some learning practices that might take off um, in Texas. Yeah. Um, it started, it's a link that you actually sent to me. It was one of those things where, you know, you have those programs, like you have them all around the world where like people like, oh, I'm angry with the government. And you go to your local TV station and they make a news story about it when it's yeah. a slow news week. Um, <laughs> a couple went to the news station to report about the homemade, like, craft game item that their teacher had made in class. So this is Perth, Western Australia. And, you know, and so every one of that, there was like a sheet and then all the kids had to actually colour in each of the squares and then, you know, fold it, you know, a bit of a project, put it together and when it was put together, it was sort of like a, a dice. It was like a stress relief dice. You know, of what you can do. And there were things like, you know, um, oh, you know, but before you, you know, blow your top, you should jump up and down like a boom, like a like kangaroo. A, yeah, yeah. And before you go, instead of going around the bend, have a banana. Yeah. You know, so you're like, oh, this is really good. You're like, oh, I'm stressed. Do some physical activity. Yeah. I'm stressed. Have a break. You know, have a healthy snack. Or <laughs> the last option, um, when all else fails, the last option was just a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> as the last option. And I love the fact that the dice that they showed, their child, oh, had coloured in the bullet and had put a nice little love heart on it. Yeah. So... Very sweet. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure who the bullet was for, but yes, um, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
Let's, I've, I've, said, I've often said that politicians need an open mic to go and work out their bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Sounds like teachers do as well. Teachers do as well. Yeah. Like, I think it was clearly that like they're like, oh, you know, like, I'm really going to make this for the kids, you know. And, like, bless teachers. They're not paid enough. You know, <laughs> they work hard. They're not appreciated. This is clearly, it's like, it's 1 a.m. It's the last day before I go back to school. I just, I've, I've, I've eaten my banana. I've jumped like a kangaroo. I've got nothing left. <laughs> Dark place. You got to wonder though, like, so that so there was a predictable outrage mm-hmm. around this, like, you know, male suicides are epidemic, you mm-hmm. know, especially after the the situation with COVID and the cost of living pressures and toxic masculinity. Men thinking that's the only way out. But you've also got to wonder mm. what the situation is like with the parents at that school. Yeah, the teachers are just like, just fucking kill yourself, just, <laughs> just fucking kill yourself. I'm done. What? I'm fucking done. I don't fucking care that Cody's come home mm-hmm. and his fucking his frog has been taken away from him for the third time this week. Just fucking kill yourself. Oh, someone's unlocking a, a porpiri trauma. <laughs> I remember where I got when I first started working um, for the government. I got a job. It was one of those that didn't seem like a job at the time. Yeah, and you were like, "Am I being punked?" They were like, look, we're going to pay you and you've got to sit on the train just like in casual clothes um, and we want you to actually just mark how many people get on and how many people get off at each stop. So you're a narc. You know, wait, no, I want like individually, you know. Yeah. Going after people, but just because they're like, we want to know because people keep getting all these angry letters saying, oh, this is bullshit. I had to like stand up. There's no seats available. And they're like, what, according to our, you know, figures, there's only six people on this train, so we can't figure out what the hell people are talking about. Yeah. So they put us on the train and figured out that there's like 600 people just not validating a ticket. And they went, oh. oh. Um, but I remember like when I just got on and there was like this like, you know, like Mrs. Krakow got on. Um, and hey, judgmental, but she's married. <laughs> Even Mrs. Krakow's got a husband. Just because you're Mrs. Krakow doesn't mean you can't find love. Yeah, exactly. You know, could have been an arranged marriage. You know, with Mr. Heroin. And so they got together and then pretty much they set up the kids and were teaching like the kids to like what a ticket inspector was going to look like and who (laughs) they should come and alert them to while they were making their little homemade bong out of a Red Red Bull can. Amazing. Just had the kids on standby. And it was at that moment, if I had a cube that had a fucking bullet on it, you'd just be like, just fucking. What uh, chance have you got, mate? Public transport's amazing. I still remember seeing a kid get on the, the bus. Remember, like, before they had the swipe on cards that just mm. go ding? Before they had those, they had the machine that made an audible crunch. Yes. Because it had a dot matrix printer inside it. So you'd feed your ticket in, yep. it would like clockwork around inside this thing for a bit, and would get stamped with a proper dot matrix printer. Yep. And this kid had taught himself to make that noise, and he gets on the, the bus and just goes, and it comes back out, and everyone stares at him because he clearly hasn't put a ticket in. And the bus driver just looked at him and, like, ah, A for effort. Just, oh, my God. He's like, the, he's like the guy from Police Academy. I was going to say, now we know when Michael Winslow had so much money, he's never paid for a fare in his life. <laughs> oh, my God, that's fantastic. It was amazing. 
actually on a bus I saw kids who actually they recorded the sound on their phones. Oh really? And then as they got on, they would like so it would audibly play. <laughs> yeah. So the bus driver would be like, Oh, here's the and it was just their pre-recorded. That's amazing. And they just put their phone. So it's yeah. I got a friend. Genius. I got a friend who's a professional musician who yeah. could. This is back in the days before downloadable plugins for for synthesizers and stuff like that. Yeah. And he went into a really expensive music shop with a with a really high end cassette recorder. Yeah. And played every sound individually on this keyboard that he really wanted. Yeah. And he sampled it that way, and he took it home and he created his own samples from this. <laughs> It was amazing. It was like his own kind of homemade ghetto Mellotron. It was so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. That is both genius and the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. It's like, it's like Mozart having to shoplift a harpsichord <laughs> or something like that. Oh, no. I think the worst thing that anyone has ever told me that they found on public transport. Oh, come on. And obviously... There's a plethora. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing this goes from just a just a sandwich bag that's still got the crusts in it mm. through to Nazi gold. Like that's got to be the spectrum. Uh, a friend came across a soiled tampon. Oh, like okay, super. Yeah, you know, red, and you just boonk, just sitting there, just sitting there on the seat, like. I know that they say, like, the maximum you can have a tampon is for, like, eight hours. Then you've got to, you know, change it. So, obviously, you know, you don't, yeah. you know, you run the risk of you could get that toxic... Toxic shock. Toxic shock. But it's not, like, on the second. It's not like, oh, 7.59, quick, I've got to get it out of me. She's going to blow. <laughs> like, you can wait to the end of your journey, I guarantee. <laughs> or, like, factor in, oh, I don't know, it's going to take me past the eight-hour mark. <laughs> Or like the spent cooling rods out of that villain from Farscape. <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> Morpheus or some shit, I can't remember. But, but the point is, so that means at some stage, somebody has to have like positioned you, you themselves. You can't just shimmy it out like you're trying to shimmy down your pants. No, but to like get their legs akimbo enough to like get up there. And sometimes the string disappears, so you got to get right up there. I'm sure there's a way. That's how you get the seat to yourself on the bus. I'm yeah, pretty sure. Absolutely. Pretty sure. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Was it like pit stop? Did they change over? Was there like a wrapper from another one? Or it was oh, just yeah. like just like kachunk spent ordinance? Oh, I don't I think they were they were too horrified to like take in like the whole scenario around them. Yeah. There's gotta be like one pair of tongs they use specifically for those things. Oh yeah, no, they they were just like, no, bring in like the that Like the robots from Chernobyl. Like it just we know it's gonna melt. Just No, that's when you just bring in Mr. Beast to just drive that bus into a hole, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Because I don't care. Oh, so this was on a bus. This was on a bus. This is what I'm saying. See, see a, a train. Bus. A train has minor privacy. A bus is very public. Mm. Yeah. Oh, mm. the old brown rattlers, eh? Mm. Whee. Wow. So I've never needed to do anything that urgently on a bus. I saw the most boomer shit of my life on a bus. Oh, okay. Once, so I was taking the bus. I used to live in the southern suburbs of Adelaide, down in the stabby a bit. Mm. Uh, so I was in, so Rinella getting towards um, Hackham. Mm. And there was a guy on the bus who was clearly on day three or four of his ice bender. 
Okay. okay. Really unhinged. Like, like clearly hasn't slept. He's wearing, He's got no shirt on. It's winter. He's very skinny. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, shall we say, athletic. Well, that's because he's planning to, you know, skin someone and wear them as a coat. He yeah. doesn't need a jacket. Yeah, so you will be his jacket. Let's just say he, you could tell he was spoiling for a fight. There was, there was, not, there was no microaggressions. These were maximal mm-hmm. aggressions, like monster energy drink mm-hmm. mixed with a can of mother. Mixed with men. Can't talk about their emotions. Yeah. So this guy, everyone on the bus was just staring at the ground. Don't look at the fucking crazy meth addict. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. And of course, crazy meth addicts, it's all fucking this, fucking that, fucking, fucking, fucking. This old boomer guy would have been about 65, turns around and just goes, excuse me, there's, there's ladies on the bus and I think they'd appreciate if you didn't use that language. Me, so like I'm, I'm at this, this stage, I'm like 35, so I still can connect with the younger people on the bus that are listening to like hip hop on the speakers on oh, their phone. Bless you, you think you're connecting with the no, kids, no, no. but sure, go on. When man. I say connect, I'm, like we all looked at each other at the same time, like we're about to witness a murder. Uh-huh. We are totally going to witness a murder. This meth head gets like to within the point where there's actually no separation between them, nose on nose, screaming at this boomer. Boomer gets up, fucking. Reefs up his bloody cargo shorts. Just goes, oh, you, you want to talk to me like that, mate? How about we get off the bus and we sort this out? We're like, you are fucking kidding me. You are kidding what? me. What? Unbelievable. Everyone on the bus is like, sit down, mate. Sit down. Just let him talk. I like the spirit in him. You know what? I've seen nursing homes. They smell like oh. this. Why do you want to go back to it? You know what? Go out in a blaze of glory. This is pure exceptionalism. This is like, oh, I did national service. Oh, yeah, I did national service. I played under-18s footy. I'll be right. You know, fucking gentleman rules. Like, no, this guy's going to bite your nose off. It was unreal. And, of course, all solved by the poor fucking Sikh bus driver who's just like, for fuck's sake, you idiot, sit down. This guy's getting off in two stops. I know him. Just sit the fuck down. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. The, the best part, though, was like the old guy was like real fucking passive-aggressive. Like, how come none of you all helped after the guy got off the bus? It's like, because we fucking... Because we know the phrase, he had so much to live for. I'm not getting stabbed by a fucking yeah. dude who has literally nothing to live for and no more blood. It's just been completely replaced yeah. by just fucking electricity. And to be honest, like, we all know that you own the 18 houses and you're the reason why we have to rent and why basically we're in a cost of living crisis and the sooner that all the boomers die um, and the wealth gets shared life will be better so yes yes so that was a that was an economic correction waiting to happen mm, mm, exactly that's just the universe brightening itself that's right what i would have told the cops <laughs> Man, I like, but you know, you know what? Maybe he's just been to his doctors. Maybe he's diagnosed with a brain tumor and is just like, oh, if I'm Fucking going, this is my bucket list. Like, I'm going to fight a meth head. <laughs> a brain boomer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I fucking I know what it's like to work hard. I used to push a broom in the railways. Bought four houses by the time I was 12. <laughs> I mean, it literally, yes, they were a pound 40 and I just, I would scratch around behind the back of the couch and be like, oh, should, should we buy a three bedroom in Sydney Harbour? Yeah, I, I only take the bus because I don't want to have to start the corona. <laughs> don't have to, I still put some good... Well, s- 
I'm, I'm elderly. I don't want to risk starting the corona because then the wife will get it and then, I'll, you know, I'll get it with my chest complaint. It was a Tuesday too. Free fucking public transport for seniors. Fucking hell. Why do you think he owns 18 houses in, in Budgie? That's yeah. freaking why. Yeah. <sighs> Old people <sighs> ruining the economy. God. If I still had a drinking problem, I'd join you in that whiskey. Oh, greatest generation. Greatest generation at fucking up the economy. That's what (laughs) they are. (sighs) Yeah. We'd say, you and I don't have to worry about this because with the environmental wars, either they're going to kick off soon enough that, you know, it'll be like a hellish landscape and none of this shit will matter. Or by the time it gets around to it, we'll be like 98 and we'll be like the first people eaten. We'll just be like, ah, just, ah, fuck it. This podcast brought to you by Mortgage Choice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, we're at that point. Either, you know, so don't stress about it. Have another drink. (laughs) Enjoy your bus ride. You've got that alliterative drink going as well. (laughs) The Italian exposition. Oh, my love. Do you know what, honestly, because you know me, I, I personally, I'm so looking forward to the end of like yeah, the, the end of the world. Yeah. Except, and this genuinely ruins all of my dreams because I have dreams about it all the time. Hmm. I'm like, it's, it's my daydream. It's my happy place. Except then I go, this one same thought permeates at the back of my brain and it just spreads like the darkness, like... You know, the bitey, rabid virus as it spreads through the world. It spreads through my brain. And I'm like, oh, he's going to feed all the cats. <laughs> and then I, I get like really, and then I realize and accept the fact that as much as I think I'm going to be all Mad Max Fury Road, I am literally going to spend the apocalypse going door to door to feed all the fucking cats. Then everyone that's died, I'm going to have to be like, release the kitties. And I worry about the zoos. I'm like, oh, God, who's going to let all the, who's going to let all the animals out? And, oh, God, the, were they bloody shipping animals that are, like, not indigenous? What are the seals going to do in the frigging Dubai when the world comes to end? Ugh, no one thinks about this. Nobody thinks about the seals of Dubai except this guy. <sighs> Mad Max Purry Road. <laughs> Oh my god! It's you're gonna you're gonna be the only person hosting quiz nights in the apocalypse to raise money for cat rescue. Oh my god! It's literally just gonna be me, like a tanker, literally just filled with like milk. I'm taking to the kitties home. But has got to feed the children. Jesus Christ! I'm literally gonna be like killing marauders just to like chop them up into little tender little bite-sized pieces oh. and then hand feed them to Mister Kibble. <laughs> but honestly, it, it keeps me. It makes me worry. It keeps me awake at night. What are you going to do for cat litter in the apocalypse? Have you thought about that? Well, just it, like it'll be like a it'll be like a sandy desert everywhere. The world will be a giant litter box, or the skull of my ex-boyfriend. Okay. It's going to be a lot of cats shitting in one head. Mm. That, mm. Will, that will be apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> and just one small, very perverted dog that loves cat shit just going, <laughs> oh, I've hit the jackpot. 
Oh my god, it tastes, it's still taking, you can still taste the marauder. Oh. <sighs> so it's a self-cleaning. Yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah. But no, it worries me. That's what keeps me awake at night. Fair enough. Oh, so when the apocalypse comes, just, you know, make sure, oh, let your animals out before you die. Yeah. Well, well contact me. I'll take them in. Oh, God. What? Someone's got to feed Mr. Kibble. Kibble, like, he's, he's spent, like, 23 hours a day lying on a cushion. He's not suddenly going to become fucking parkour. Like, <laughs> Might be sudden, but Australia's got plenty of biodiversity. Yeah. Why can't we hear any birds? Is it because of the nuclear wars? No, it's because she saved all the fucking cats. There's no birds in the wasteland. Did you notice that? There's crows in one scene of Fury Road. No, apparently in Mad Max Fury Road, it's nothing but hot birds. Hey. hey. One of them's got one arm. Yes, please. <laughs> I didn't realise that was a particular kink you had. Oh, it's very specific. Oh, okay. The left or right, or it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. Dealer's choice? <laughs> Excite me. Oh, well, I'm a fan of cricket from the 80s and I like being stumped. Oh, God, I'm going to change the subject. You know what? Yeah. Speaking of getting stumped, <laughs> that brings us, would you believe, to this week's topic. Okay. Who knew? This week, we... <laughs> don't, don't look at your watch like that. I wasn't. It was just the... the, uh, the that's all right. Don't worry. This week, we are returning to our heroine, as we look at Marguerite B.J. Steinheil, part de. Ah, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. I forgot we were doing this. Now, Marguerite was no ordinary Parisian. Mm. Few could say that they had pleasured a French president to death. <laughs> New item on my bucket list, by the way. Just quietly, Monica Lewinsky, lift your fucking game. I know, seriously. If he's still standing, weak. I want to see his skull collapse like he's one of the fucking <laughs> gelflings in the Dark Crystal. Just every drop of moisture gone. Gone. <laughs> oh my God, that literally, it wasn't a bullet that blew off the back of like <laughs> of Kennedy's head. They literally just stopped it back after Marilyn was finished. It's just, it was an implosion, like that submarine. Just whammo. <laughs> uh, so she pleasured a French president to death, but as we will find out this week, slaying the head of state was not by far the most scandalous exploit of this lavacious lover. As this week, more would lose their lives to her passions. Unreal. And this love affair almost brought down a major European royal family. Wow. Yes. In this week's episode of Marguerite Steinheil, the moist murderess. Oh, that's very good. Marguerite would spend the next six years after killing the French president... We'd spend the next six years, oh, here we go, Freudian, (laughs) the next six years, satiating her desires and the desires of other French politicians 
who dared to risk it all and take their chances by laying with the legend. (laughs) Marguerite would even bed a future French Prime Minister, Aristide Briand. Oh, my fucking men. Seriously, you were right. Like, oh, is this going to kill me? (laughs) Game on. Game on, Mo. (sighs) But by 1905, Marguerite's much older husband. Oh, no. Still painting, is he? (laughs) His health began failing. No. That's what happens when you marry a child. So his health began failing and he could no longer paint as many paintings as he did for all of Marguerite's lovers to purchase. (laughs) So demand outweighed supply. There you go. Worth even more. So their income began to shrink and shrink and the lavish parties became less and less Frequent. What do they got now? Fairy bread at a public barbecue. You had one job, Adolf. <laughs> one job. Everyone take a square of fairy bread. Everyone gets a hand job. <laughs> That's not butter binding this together. <laughs> That's a Piri twenty first. <laughs> it was at this time that one of Marguerite's wealthy lovers, a widow named Emile Chenard. Suggested that he rent a villa in the countryside just outside Paris so that the two could enjoy their passions more openly. In secret, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah. Of course. All at his expense. Of course. I spared no expense for my Binga Bonga Palace. <laughs> In 1907, the affair ended suddenly for an undisclosed reason. She wore him out. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> this is the Parisian equivalent of hiring an Airbnb on the Gold Coast. Yeah. 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 But Marguerite was never one to be alone for long. Okay. Seemingly, it seems on the train ride home, <laughs> she met her next beau. Now, I don't want to connect too many dots here, uh, but she seems pretty thrashed. <laughs> Maybe she's the one leaving tampons on the seats on trains. <laughs> Now we all know the whole <laughs> the whole trope about women having lots of sex leaves them physically uh They could have all had micro penises. I dare say they did. They're French. Hyman was probably still intact. Probably. I, I love that ridiculous thing. If a woman have lot has lots of sex, oh she's got a loose vagina. Honestly, if if any man's body reacted to the amount of masturbation they all did, every bloke would be walking around with a fucking three millimetre wide pool noodle. Yeah. That's four metres long. Look, it, I, you know, I've, I've had sex, some of it okay. You know, I could still, like, snap a man in two. Yeah, I dare say you could crush a walnut. I could, like, I can tattoo my name on his dick. It's what? that precise. It's like the ticket machines. Valid for two hours. I don't have two hours. Yeah, I was going to say two hours. You're complimenting yourself, aren't you? 30 seconds. It's a two-section trip. Uh, so many injects. ride for free. Oh, well, as long as they put you in the wheel. Oh, Lord. So, on the way home. But, but no, it's it, how many lovers you have it doesn't affect your vagina. No. 
Marguerite, like this, you know, it's men's insecurities yeah. that hold like, oh, I've got to have a virgin. <laughs> so she won't know how shit you are at sex. Yeah. How small your penis are. No. How bad a lover you are. You know what you want? You want a woman who has fucked everyone and then stops at you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that'll do, pig. <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Stops at you. Mm. <laughs> and see, a woman who just stops, looks at your wang and is like, yeah. It'll do, pig. It'll do. Why don't you start off as like a New Yorker? Eh, look at that, look at that sausage. I'm going to get off the L train here. That's my sex voice. I, oh, my God. No wonder you're not getting any. Hey, you want to put some cream cheese on my bagel? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, the Fran Drescher approach. No. Oh, Mr. This is Sheffield. How that, this, that's the most incongruous look ever. How that, I mean, she's a stunning woman mm. who sounds like the et. Just like, oh. Different folks for different strokes. True. Marguerite liked the look of Emmanuel de Ballancourt. Wink, wink. A young aristocrat. Marguerite faked a fainting spell into the young man's arms. Oh, that old chestnut. And she asked him to see her home. This was, of course, all the opening Marguerite needed, and she quickly worked her charms, and the two began a love affair. Which don't need much. No. That was until the young aristocrat met his lover's husband. Oh, dear. And upon meeting the man, was racked with such overwhelming pity and guilt... No. Ended the affair immediately. No, good on him. What? Have you seen the movie um, Sideways with Paul Giamatti? No. That's the, that is the scene I'm imagining. There's a scene where Paul Giamatti has to, has to rescue his dumb friend who hooks up with a waitress yep. and left his wedding ring in her house after a drunk husband came home. And that's the sex. The sex scene you have to see, it's fucking traumatising. Ah, okay, yeah. excellent. Well, I'm just saying, if, you know, if Adolf had married someone age-appropriate, then yeah. they'd both be, like, wrinkly and okay. old. Okay, I and- forgot about that part. I forgot the fact that he was a pederast. So, Yeah. We've kept, we've, this is a split episode. I forgot all that stuff at the start. I forgot that he was a predator who's getting what he deserves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Yeah. <laughs> Marguerite's daughter then announced her engagement to a young gentleman named Pierre Buffon. So he's she's out, she's out of the house. Woo! Yeah. In 1908, Marguerite was introduced to Maurice Baudrill, a wealthy industrialist, mayor of a small county. And a widower. Hello. Or should I say bonjour? Bonjour. The two began a love affair almost immediately. Nice. And he began to pay for her lifestyle at once. And the lifestyle again became extravagant. Yes. Then Marguerite took the unusual step of proposing marriage to Maurice. A wealthy industrialist? Never. 
Maurice declined, saying that he felt having a divorce e because, of course, remember, she is actually married to Adolf at yeah. this stage and would actually have to break it to um, Adolf and then actually get a divorce to even be a divorcee. So. Yeah. Small matter, small matter. But he said that having a divorcee as a stepmother may affect the marriage prospects of his three children who were approaching adulthood. So Maurice declined her marriage proposal. No. To the married woman. He declined yeah. her marriage proposal. Yeah. But this was by f- far from being the biggest scandal that was about to de- befall this house. When there would be a double death in Marguerite's home on the evening of May the 30th, 1908. That's not long after. Escalation. Hello. The morning of May the 31st began like every other day for Rami Couillard. <laughs> Adolphe Steinhal's valet. He rose and quickly dressed himself. He then left his bedroom in the attic. <laughs> this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he left his bedroom in the attic and proceeded down the back stairs of the house when he heard what sounded like muffled yelling. Okay. I'm sure he's probably heard more than <laughs> once or twice. From yeah. That sounds like he's coming from beneath a pillow. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Actually, no, but this time it seems different. <laughs> the yelling was coming from inside the third main bedroom formerly used by the Steinheil's daughter. Oh. The valet raced into the room and found Marguerite buck naked. Hello. Bound hand and foot to the bed. Okay. A cloth wrapped over her mouth. The valet removed Marguerite's gag and she yelled that there were robbers in the house. No! The valet rushed to the window, threw it open and shouted for the police. (laughs) In what I presume was a very theatrical French manner. (laughs) Omar! Omar! Guess what are they called? The gendarmes! The Jean-Claude Van Damme! Jean-Claude Van Damme! Jean-Claude, where are you? I'm in Belgium. And he just, you just look up and he's there, in, his legs stretched out between boards. Oh, I was always here. <laughs> so he called, But as luck would have it, because usually you'd be thinking, dickhead, why are you just yelling from a window? Everyone yeah. knows that doesn't work. Yeah. As luck would have it, two policemen were actually walking on patrol in the area and came running when they heard the call for help. Okay. The police searched the house and found no intruders. Right. But what they did find, besides Marguerite's special drawer, (laughs) was Adolf Steinheil bound and gagged. Dead. Whoa! In his room. Never. Then they found Marguerite's mother gagged and bound. Dead. 
in Marguerite's room. Okay. Marguerite told the police she had given her bedroom to her mother as the bed was more comfortable. Marguerite said she had been tied up by four black-robed strangers. Oh, of course. Some things never change. Never change. Marguerite told police she had awoken because of a sound in the bedroom. Oh. <laughs> she awoke and was startled to find four people in her room. Bullshit. That's not the first time she's found four people in her bedroom. She was startled to find it was only four. Not one of them had taken a number. <laughs> I have three useful orifices and two hands. You are short. <laughs> Can you imagine her giving her mum that bed? Oh. She would have stuck to that shit like Pizza Hut pizza. <laughs> I couldn't do it to my mum. No. No. Just, oh, yeah, I know the debauchery that's happened in there. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> Just thank God they didn't invent the black light. That bed would just look like a, just a neon glow. Oh, oh is that the face of Jesus? <laughs> I've called him a few times. <laughs> so she woke and was startled to find four people in her room. Three men and one red-headed woman. <gasps> She claimed they threatened her with a pistol and they asked, demanding to know where your father, her words, yeah. where your father kept his money. Oh. Implying that she believed four robbers broke in and mistook her yeah. for her, like, 18-year-old daughter. Yeah. Really? Marguerite? Or, or really? that she's young enough to be that guy's daughter, which she was. Look normal. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Marguerite told them where the money was and then one of the robbers struck her on the head and she lost consciousness. Okay. When she awoke, she found that she had been tired and gagged. But then she heard someone on the stairwell outside and she began to cry out for help. After further examination, it appeared that Adolf had been strangled to death. Hmm. Whilst her mother had choked to death. On her gag. On her own false teeth. Oh, no. Because I put the gag in. And she had her falsies in. Oh, no. Like, oh, dear. It's not the first person who's gagged in Magreed's bedroom. <laughs> no, though. it's not. Her <laughs> final words were, what, what, what? I died just like my daughter lived. <laughs> Gagging for it. <laughs> Police had their suspicions. Really? Yeah. Really? This, and I think most of it kicked off with, oh, <laughs> Your father yeah. keep the money. Yeah. No one's believing no that. No one's believing no that. No one's believing that, Margaret. I'm guessing if, even in France, it's a small town. Yeah. <laughs> no one's believing that. Uh, but they had their suspicions. But there seemed to be a substantial lack of theft. 
if the motivation was indeed robbery. Neither Marguerite's jewellery nor any of the household silver had been touched. That's odd. Slightly unusual for four masked robbers in hoods. Now, I'm, I'm not saying all men, and trigger warning here, but she's escaped rather easily, shall we say from four masked men who found a naked woman and tied her up. I take offence to that. I take offence to your insinuation that all men are incapable of any self-control and that if they see a naked woman, they have to sexually offend her. Yeah, but that's they're, sh- they're criminals. That's a ch- So? Cri- I'm, a, I'm a criminal. I don't... Oh, someone's naked. I have to put my penis in them. No. no, these are French criminals. It's escape. That's escape out for shitty behaviour. No, said- I am not acknowledging them for having the basic human decency to just not rape a person who just exists. I'm just saying. No, no. These are criminals. So, Crim- doesn't matter. Criminals, ex- okay, sorry, they're honourable criminals slash not all men. It doesn't matter. They're a human being. And just because you see a person naked doesn't mean you automatically have to put your dick in them. Why are you, why are you looking at me like this is my moral judgment? I'm, I'm just, saying these were criminals. It doesn't matter. These Criminal, were- law-abiding citizen, TV host, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Russell Brand, allegedly. It doesn't matter. Just, just saying. Naked person, lump of wood, your reaction should be the same. Just saying. I'm just saying. And so there was no evidence. There's nothing stolen. So the police attempted to make a show of abandoning the investigation in the hopes that Marguerite would relax and reveal her guilt. Oh, well, nothing to see here, I guess. Everyone just died naturally. Oh, look at the time. Going to go home. Totally wrapped up this investigation. Yeah. And sat in the kitchen. In the garden, just watching her. (sighs) One of the most curious points of interest was that a nearby theatre had recently had four cloaks that matched those as described by Marguerite stolen in the weeks prior to the break-in. That is interesting. Or she's just used a woven fact into her elaborate lie, but... yeah. Marguerite then identified a patron of the same theatre as one of the men who broke into the room. Oh. Police interviewed the man, but he was able to provide a sound alibi. Then Marguerite accused Adolphe's valet, Remy, of the murders. Okay. Marguerite told police... That she had suspicions. So she went up to his room and searched his clothes. And that she had found a pearl <gasps> that had been stolen on the night of the robbery that she had forgotten to mention in Remy's notebook. In his pocket. Right. So she then searched the rest of his room and found a diamond that Marguerite had claimed had also been stolen on the night and she forgot to mention. Right. Could the valet have been caught red-handed? Da, da, da. 
The news and an image of the pearl flooded the papers. One keen-eyed jeweller, however, (laughs) came forward and claimed that he had removed the unique-looking pearl from a ring indeed owned by Marguerite, but that he had done so at Marguerite's request two weeks after the murder. Oh, okay. Literally just caught in the... Well, they say third time is the charm. So Marguerite responded by accusing Alexander Wolfe, the son of her housekeeper, of being responsible of the robbery. Right. But he at once was also able to provide an alibi. Okay. Six months after the deaths of Adolf Steinhal and his mother, Marguerite was arrested in November of 1908 and sent to St. Lazare Prison. This created an overwhelming sensation in Paris. First the French president and now her husband and her mother. Could it be? Rumours started murdering that perhaps the French president's death wasn't an accident after all. Oh. And stories ran rampant that Marguerite was everything from a Russian assassin. (laughs) Unless her pussy was sponsored by the Kremlin. I don't think so. (laughs) They call it the Red Square. (laughs) Ras pussy. (laughs) They claim she was a Russian assassin who had poisoned the president... Everything to her being a member of the opposition party. The prosecutors and the defence lawyers argued back and forth and it was almost a year before the trial even made its way to court. The trial was the hottest ticket in Paris, but the court's limited admittance to 100 spectators at a time. Spectators. Are you kidding? This was the modern... That was like the... This was the Johnny Depp Amber Heard of its day. Are <laughs> <True>. you kidding? <laughs> Mind you, a hundred years previous, you could watch an, like an aristocrat have their head removed. Yeah. That yeah. would have been so much better. Oh, my God, Their yes. boomers are just like, ah, I saw Louis the Fourteenth get decapitated. This is shit. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if we could do that today? Just line everyone and be like, guess how many... Oh. He owns 500 properties. Off with his head. <laughs> so good. He has a billion dollars. Off with his head. Make Scott Cam build the guillotine. Oh, yes. He won't let his workers take piss breaks. Off with <laughs> his head. How good would it be? Amazing. Oh, my God. Then we all get to run into their house and all just steal their shit. <laughs> Oh, Lord. So everyone obviously wanted to be at the trial. Famous novelist Marcel Proust attended the trial, astounding everyone as it was legendary that the author never rose before noon. Oh, really? (laughs) But for this trial, he made an exception. Newspapers reported that a year in prison had taken its toll on Marguerite's beauty. Oh, no. Fucking bitchy. Oh my God. So she's not in the yard doing dips and working on her working on her fucking fighting skills? No. <laughs> to kick things off in a dramatic display of why you should never shit where you eat, 
Or in this case, why you should never accuse your housekeeper's son for a double homicide. (laughs) The housekeeper was a witness for the prosecution. Oh, dear. And gave a detailed account of Marguerite's parade of lovers. (sighs) Who at the time of her husband's death even included... The king of Cambodia. What? This fucking where my god she gets around. Yeah. There you go. I like to think she is responsible for the barmy. With the bread roll being her vagina. Yeah, no, I I get that. So yeah. and then there's the meat going in the vagina. That's the king. What's the carrot? <laughs> That's, that's just the accoutrement. Why is it pickled? That's the accoutrement. Oh, it's pickled. As soon as it goes in there, it's pickled. Oh, yes. The prosecution claimed that Marguerite had killed her husband so as to free her up to allow her to marry Maurice Baudrill, the widower who yeah. she had asked to marry. Marguerite's defence argued that the scandal of a murder trial... And a grisly murder was even more damaging than the scandal of a divorce. So they argued it was unlikely Marguerite would have done so. Oh. Makes sense. Yeah. The defence argued that if the robbers had broken in whilst the house was asleep, then why did Adolf's mother have her teeth in? That's a pretty good question. If robbers had truly roused her from her sleep, then her false teeth would not have been in. And it was incomprehensible why a robber would wake the old woman, make her put her teeth in, and then gag her. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, you're going to... Go fuck yourself! No. Marguerite handled the role of accused murderess like a pro. She wept, she gnashed her teeth, even wailing at the sorrow of the whole tragedy. (laughs) Marguerite also claimed that her husband knew nothing of her many love affairs. Really? All of Paris knows. (laughs) Cambodia knows. All he knows is he sold a hell of a lot of paintings. <laughs> he was. was really picking up. <laughs> the whole time that judge is just sitting there just going, oh, I can't believe I fucked her. Oh, <laughs> He's my God. This awkward. Oh, yeah. That painting was worth it. Though. It was a great, great uh, picture of ducks. Marguerite also claimed she never lied. That's that's why the, the husband had no idea. She'd never lie. And any inconsistencies in her stories that she told police were not hers. But the mistake of the police when recording her testimony, who had simply just misheard or written it down wrong. I just imagine this poor Adolf getting up every morning for his breakfast and he goes to read the newspaper and he opens it up and it's just got holes cut in it. (laughs) This guy's wife fucked the fucking president to death. It's like every single one's like a ransom note. It's just like, where's the sports page this hey, week? Where's the dog next door? It's the dog it's very, it rips up the paper. It's so frustrating. Every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen a complete newspaper in his life. The only page left is the paintings for sale. <laughs> 
Oh, Lord. Yeah, what? Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Oh, Lord. So any inconsistencies, it was all the police. She never lied. She never lied. Except for the times when she was actually caught lying. And that wasn't her fault. That was just because she was panicked at, you know, being accused. Yeah. So again, that was the police's fault. Because yeah. they put her under pressure. The she just, mean police. She panicked. Marguerite went on to say that she had just spent a year in prison and surely that was already more than enough punishment for a bad call. She made a bad call, all right? Still, this did not stop the judge. Apparently, Marguerite's only non-fan who called her testimony in court to the jury a, quote, Tissues of lies. They have a different legal system in France. Mm. Now, when I said half of France was trying to get into this trial, yeah, that was because the other half were trying to get out of the country, desperately trying to flee so as to not have to testify <laughs> on the stand as the prosecution was bringing in all of her lovers to testify. <laughs> oh, look at this. Oh, I, I suddenly have a business meeting, honey, in Frankfurt anywhere but here. <laughs> Just half of the government is missing. Yeah. So, because they were pretty much trying to round up all of her lovers to make them testify. Yeah. So, Paris was an empty town that week. <laughs> Maurice Bordereau was called by the prosecution to discuss their sordid love affair. But Bordereau gave such a glowing description of Marguerite and their time together, it actually painted her rather favourably and not the cold, calculating harlot the prosecution was attempting to describe. Seemingly knowing that they were losing, the prosecution now seem to reshift their case. It's always a good sign in the middle of a trial. Yeah. And now claimed that the housekeeper, who had previously testified against her because she had tried to frame the housekeeper's son, they now claimed that the housekeeper was Marguerite's accomplice who helped her murder her husband and her mother. Right. The defence... Brought in a mystery person. Oh dear. The defence presented a man in a red wig. <laughs> he was also wearing a black cape. This is like something from Seinfeld. What the fuck is going on? You had me a red wig and a cape. Yeah. He was wearing a red wig and a cape. And he gave testimony that he had, in fact, broken in to the Steinheil house. But the man was so ridiculous and uninformed <gasps> on the inside of the Steinhill house, the case, the man was essentially laughed out of court. <laughs> yes, I totally broke into their condo. You mean their house? Yes, yes, their five-bedroom gazebo Three-bedroom semi-detached. Yes, yes, whatever. It all looks the same in the dark. Do you like my wig? He's, he's been promised a blowjob. 
hundred percent. Basically, a hundred percent. The jury debated for two and a half hours. Right. Literally, she slept with every member of the jury. <laughs> they debated for two and a half hours and then found Marguerite. What do you think they found her? Guilty. Not guilty on all charges and she was released. The people's princess. Woo! Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that wrist action. Although her tunnel action is very different. Oh, <laughs> a lot of other things have died in that tunnel. Of course, this did not stop her former prison cellmates from selling stories to the press, all claiming Marguerite had made a full confession to them whilst in prison. Of course, mm-hmm. before converting to Islam. You do get better food. You get much better food. Also, if you convert to Judaism. Yeah. You know. Um, Marguerite <coughs> packed up and moved to London. Yeah. Taking the name Madame de Serenac. <laughs> so you just subtle blending in. You know, don't want to stand out. I am Madame Professional on my back. <laughs> Marguerite and her daughter had been estranged for the last several years, with Marta living with her father's cousin. But in 1911, the two reconnected and reconciled. Ah. Yeah. In 1912, Marguerite, with the assistance of a ghostwriter, wrote and released her memoirs. Of course. Think of a saucy penthouse letter. But with all the sex and scandal taken out. What? That's all she's got. I literally, like, I searched high and low. Like, I was ready to spend $200 to get this shipped over from France. Because I'm like, oh my god, this is just going to be, like, cock in the face. Like, 200 pages of just sex explosion. Nope. 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 New, all of the sex taken out, <laughs> all of it, not even mentioned. <laughs> she could have been a nun. The book is a rather dull whitewashing of her history. Oh dear! Leaving out all the sordid details of all her passionate love affairs. Like honestly, I actually printed out all two hundred pages because I'm like, I am going to read this from like cover to like. Maybe I should laminate it. Oh, it's going to get a bit, you know. Yeah. Oh my god! Like halfway into like the like the first paragraph, I was just like, <laughs> so bad, so bad. Nobody rush out for the memoirs. You're Fair not enough. missing anything. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. So it's yeah, it's really dull. Left out all of the sordid details of every passionate love affair, and I mean, honestly, it's the only reason you buy the book. Yeah. So why you're buying it? I don't know. It's like the original movie about the band Queen was supposed to keep going after Freddie died. Mm. Like, no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Yeah. <clears throat> Marguerite claimed that after the president's death, this is in her memoirs. Yeah. She claimed that after the president's death, a mysterious government official came to her house. She had not known the man, but her husband seemed to know the man. Oh. Wink, wink. 
trying to hint as if this could hide a shocking secret as to why her husband was murdered, possibly by the government. Marguerite claimed that the man demanded that she give him... She's still trying to push this. Demanded that he give her the manuscript she and the French president had been working on. Remember, that was her original excuse. Like, I wasn't just going there to gobble his knob. We were, like, writing his memoirs. Oh, my, we were totally working on a screenplay together. Oh, my God, yeah, totally. It's like these friendly vampires and these werewolves. Um... (sighs) So he came and he demanded the manuscript that they had been working on. No one for a minute believed no. this book existed. No one. No. She also claimed that the man demanded she return a pearl necklace given to her by the French president. Oh, you don't this, want that back, mate. This just writes itself. It's not what you think it is. <laughs> yes. I mean, he might have actually given me three or four pearl necklaces. But I don't think you want it back, mate. Unless you can take the oils directly out of my skin. You're not getting it back. And then I thought, is that where the term pearl necklace comes from? I I don't know. I'm not into the entomology of ejaculate. I'm going to have to look that up. I think that could be maybe where the term pearl necklace came from. Maybe. Oh. Oh, you always want something named after you after you die. Yeah. Oh, that'd be nice, nice. So, (laughs) he's demanding the pearl necklace. Marguerite also sued another publisher who released a book entitled Woman and Crime. Just woman? Just woman. (laughs) Nice. The author accusing Marguerite of lying at the trial. Yeah. The author's theory was that Marguerite, surprise, surprise, had another lover. What? He showed up at the marital home and a violent fight broke out between the lovers. Yeah. When Adolf rushed in... I don't think Adolf rushed into anything. <laughs> no. Un- unless it's childhood marriage. When Adolf rushed in, he was accidentally struck in the throat <laughs> and died. And Marguerite's mother, witnessing all of this, had a heart attack and accidentally inhaled her own teeth. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Early forensic theory. <laughs> the lover... This was the most interesting bit. So, you know, this is this is the lover is the man who like ninja killed the husband. Yeah. You know, throat punch and then choked an old woman with her own teeth. This lover was none other than an undisclosed close relative of a brother's uncle's cousin, flatmate of the Tsar of Russia. Fucking hell. And the whole arrest and trial was a charade to hide the truth of the Tsar's cousins, flatmates, others, brothers, flatmates, neighbours from the scandal. Yeah, neighbours. Yeah, fuck. Marguerite won the case against the publisher and the book was withdrawn from sale. <laughs> One word, mate. Allegedly. Yeah, that's all you need. Allegedly. Just change a few names, you're fine. 
1917. Okay. So this is a few years after the trials, the murders, BJ, the French president, to death. The czar of Russia's throat punch killed your husband. Your mum's choked on her own teeth. Your daughter hates her. You've reconciled. You now move to another continent. You're an old woman. How old do you think she is? At this point, 30. (laughs) (laughs) Now aged 48. Okay, yeah. In 1917, Marguerite married an Englishman. Oh, dear. A barrister named Robert Scarlet, the sixth Baron of Abinger. Of course. Only, this is the good bit, only seven years her senior. Oh. Mm. But whom died ten years later? Who'd have thunk it? Worn out. Yeah. Worn out. Out or literally ground down from the penis up. <laughs> they found him in his deathbed with his arms behind his head and smiling. <laughs> it's how I wanted to go. Marguerite, now aged 58, <laughs> retired to Hove in Sussex, where she remained for the next 27 years before dying at age 85 in a retirement home in her favourite place, bed. On her back. (laughs) She died and she lived. (laughs) And then, kids, if you went up to her vagina and put it to your ear, you could hear the sounds of the sea. (laughs) You could hear the sound of a French president choking. (laughs) (sighs) I love that all of this happens all later in her 40s <laughs> I like this is like the end of Titanic where she just drops the pearl over the side of the boat except this is her vagina yeah. <laughs> as the ocean just dies <laughs> uh. oh my god and the king of Cambodia just swims away <laughs> wow it kind of it puts your life into perspective, and I feel like I have lived so little compared to this woman. Oh yeah, neither of us have done any social climbing fucking at all. <laughs> Maybe we should have fucked that old guy on the bus that fought the meth head. Get ourselves a house. <laughs> 